0: Thanks for tuning into the Excel Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby-Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Sarah Pachoto about Outsourcing Legal Research and Drafting. Sarah is a former judicial law clerk and litigator and founder of On Point Legal Research that specializes in providing a variety of research, writing, and litigation support services to lawyers across Canada. Welcome to the XL Legal Podcast, Sarah. Oh, thanks so much, Shelley. I'm really pleased to be here. Well, thanks so much for being here. To get us started, I'd love to hear about your career path and how it led to the creation of On Point.
1: Sure. Well,
0: I'll tell you, when I was in law school,
1: I I went to law school for many reasons, but I I always expected that it would sort of be a really interesting experience and lead to something. But I always was questioning whether that would be litigation for me. There are a lot of elements of the litigation practice that just aren't really my personality. So I went along the path and I clerked at the Supreme Court of British Columbia and really enjoyed that. And then, of course, the next step is to article and become a litigator, which I followed along. Um, but as I had spe- expected, it really just wasn't for me. There were too many. Um, I, I don't really like to speak in court and be on my feet isn't my my nature. And I prefer to write and to research and have have time to do that. So I, as I was plodding along, I thought, you know, the, being a clerk was great. It was um, interesting. And you had time to think and write and, and really think of the best arguments you could. And that was all very appealing to me. So uh, when I was litigating and and those elements started dropping off, I thought it would be great if I could figure out a way of of getting back to that. So I decided to leave practice and see if I could make a go of it. And um, I had a couple of of clients uh, fairly quickly simply because I knew them before I left. Um, And I started doing some research for them. um, And uh, after about doing, I'd say, maybe two years or so of doing research, here and there for various clients, and trying to get more work, and um, figuring out how to do the marketing, figuring out how to convince uh, potential clients that it was a good idea. Um, I learned through that process that I was really enjoying it. Uh, but what I really liked was not—I mean, I still enjoy research and writing, but I really liked everything else. So I really liked the challenge of trying to make it work, um, trying to grow it, trying to figure out what was a good service for lawyers to have. It really wasn't, as far as I I knew at the time, it really was a new idea to outsource um, something as important as legal research and writing outside of your own practice. And what I was most, I think, excited about was the potential of it and the possibility of of doing it for a, a very busy lawyer. First of all, some of them are happy not to have to do it, but a lot of them that even do like research and writing, it's very hard to find the time to do it, it's it's something that requires a really large chunk of time to delve into something and to you know un- overturn all those stones and and it's difficult to do that if you're also trying to return calls to your clients and schedule meetings and you know develop your own practice. So it, it was really exciting to be able to provide a service that took that off of their desks. Um, and so then I decided at that point, after a couple of years of doing it all myself, that. I wanted to see if I could make it large enough that uh, I would eventually step out of doing the research and writing and focusing exclusively on the business development. Uh, and that did happen eventually. It, it, was, it was not a direct line from A to B, and it took, it took several years. But uh, that's certainly where, where the situation is now. And I just have a fantastic team of uh, research lawyers that do the actual work. Fantastic. And how many
0: research lawyers do you have now?
1: Uh, there are five main research lawyers, and then I have several other uh, that are uh, involved in a very much more minimal way, doing projects kind of here and there.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, so I'm just thinking about when you started out, how many years ago was that? Because, I mean, there are a few outsourcing um, firms now, but I can imagine back then they're like you're a bit of a trailblazer. I like to think so. (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah. So, I think when I started, when I hung up my shingle initially, it was 1999. And then when I started to try to make it kind of bigger so that it was a firm, that was uh, 2001. And at that point, as far as I knew anyway, there weren't any other ones. There were uh, some US ones. So, I was in touch with those those firms to sort of figure out what how they were doing it and of course it wasn't exactly the same situation because things are different in the states but the general idea was there but no it was definitely a situation of um figuring it out you know and 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 seeing what worked and trying different marketing strategies and and uh all those things were new
0: Hmm. Yeah, because it's such an incredibly valuable uh, service. I'm thinking too, though, about the sort of the lawyer personality, and and was that challenging at first to convince lawyers that that's something that um, the legal research and writing is something they could outsource?
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's really you know, and I say this partly with bias, but it, it's it's perhaps the most important part of a file. I mean, it's it, the whole premise of your argument is based on on good research and good writing. And if you're presenting an argument in court, you obviously have to know that you're going in there armed with the correct uh, the correct position. So it was definitely slow at the beginning. I mean, there you know, I was an unknown, and um, there was a lot of of convincing, and often getting a small project at the beginning to then say, oh, okay, no, she knows what she's doing, and then I would develop a relationship with that one particular client, and they were more comfortable with giving. Larger and more important projects to the point where I was writing appeals and things like that, and then eventually, after many years of doing that, it was uh, reputation was a huge part of it. I mean, I, I I did a lot of marketing and I still do, but certainly the most important thing for this kind of work is reputation. And I, I don't know if the lawyer legal community in particular is is. Is a conservative group people, or if it's just the actual nature of of you know the reality that what we do is so important and so it's reasonable that they're they're you know nervous may not be the word, but there some skepticism or some hesitation to to outsource
0: something so important is is not an unreasonable hesitation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what are some of the sort of some of the benefits i guess some of the things that we wouldn't normally think about as a benefit for, um, you know, outsourcing legal research and writing? I mean, I can think of a few, and you've mentioned a few already, just in terms of helping with, you know, when you have like a, a very heavy workload and being able to um, focus in on more sort of client-specific things. But other sort of other benefits or things that, um, you know, lawyers have, have mentioned to you over the years? Well, I think probably
1: one of the biggest benefits is that because it's all we do, they are getting people who are very good at it, very efficient. And I'm so lucky that my team is so amazing. They are almost all of them are gold medalists of their class and almost all of them have clerks at either the Supreme Court of Canada or the a court of appeal level court. So they're getting somebody very, very smart, but also experienced mm-hmm. and able to efficiently help them. So from their perspective and their client's perspective, it's, it's economical as well. I mean, our hourly rates are less generally, um, not as much as they charge their own clients. And because we're also efficient, it would take them much longer to do the work. So it's, it's not only getting it off their desk and enabling them to focus on other things, but also we can do it faster and, and frankly, better. <laughs> so uh, that makes sense uh, for sure. And also, you know, if, if somebody wants, I kind of like to look at us like we're part of their firm, but only when they need us. So it's, it's incredibly economical for them. They don't have any overhead with us. Um, they don't have to pay salaries or benefits or worry about if it slows down for them. They just pick up the phone when they need us. And then other than that, they're they're on their own. So it, it's a great way for them to just get the help when they need it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, without all the extra cost involved. I'm wondering, too, is there sort of a typical client that would come to you? Is it like size of firm, area of practice, or are there sort of any typical clients Generally, yes, but we have, we do, I must say, I I hate to, I hate to generalize
1: because we do have a lot of situations that don't fall into this sort of normal range. But for the most part, our, our lawyers are uh, sole practitioners up till 10, I'd say 10 lawyers is usually our norm, but we do also, we've done a lot of work for larger firms when they haven't got the capacity or they want somebody who really is a high level research lawyer and they have, you know, they may have very good associates, but they're too junior or they aren't really, um, they're not experienced enough to handle a really important file, uh, or they're just really busy and they need a little bit of extra help. So so their range is certainly there. Um, but for the most part, we do a lot of sort of black letter law that you can imagine family, family law, personal injury, um, wills and estates, a lot of corporate commercial, uh, they generally fall into those, those areas. That said, we often do things outside of those areas too. Recently, we've had some really interesting Aboriginal um, files and
0: human rights issues as well. That's sort of going to be my next uh, my next question. Can you provide us with any examples of the types of work that, um, that On Point has done recently? I mean, in a general sense. Yeah, in a general sense. I mean,
1: I think probably I can tell you more about the, uh, rather than the file itself, just in case it's still going on, I can tell you about the the nature of the work that we do for the client. And um, that is all over the place. We sometimes are brought on board for a very minimal role like, uh, oh, I just need a couple of cases that are really great that are going to support my argument that I've already constructed to uh, I'm trying to decide if I should take on this file and I need some general research into whether or not we have a case to I'm going to court tomorrow <laughs> and um, I need quickly to have this particular issue looked at and I can add it to my argument to uh, I need to reply to a factum, it's due in a month, and I'm hoping you can do the entire factum. So there, there's a huge variation there. And then occasionally, depending on the circumstances, uh, it, both on the on-pointer involved and on our client, if they want more than legal research and writing and, our, and the on-pointer wants to do that as well, we have uh, occasionally gone into court, for example, as a second chair on appeal and things like that as well. Wow, so there's quite a variety. There is, which is what makes it really interesting. I think both for me and for the on pointers, because it's never, it's never dull. And I, I, you know, one of the great things I, 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 a lot of on point people have told me and I remember as well is it's so nice to be in a position where you are, are so appreciated. I mean, you know, you do the work. It's good, hopefully, and you get a a really thankful client. And in my recollection of when I was a, a litigator was that often was not the case. You were dealing with a lot of people who, you know, think litigation is expensive. So they're not very happy about that. Or they're not happy because you remind them of the worst thing going on in their life. (laughs) Or, you know, the whole litigation process is stressful, and that's you. Um, So it's really great to be in a situation where we have we have an opportunity to have really happy recipients of our work
0: for sure and then, i mean i think that uh yeah that also motivates the on pointers when you say on pointers i assume those are the research lawyers working for yes. a point
1: yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love yeah, that that's evolved over, over years <laughs> yes <laughs> uh
0: yeah so that that gives them a, a greater sense of satisfaction in the work that they do as well uh Absolutely. and yeah i'm thinking about the sort of the the research lawyers or the on pointers. Where are they coming from? You said that in terms of their credentials, I understand their background, but you know, what are some of the reasons that perhaps they've joined on point?
1: Well, of course, the, you know, they're all different, but, but i give you some examples. I think this choice of profession, uh, it suits, um, well, very brainiac people who, who love mm-hmm. that that aspect of practice where they really can delve in and use their brains. But it also, it suits people that didn't really fit in in the normal firm mold, um, the hours required and the lifestyle required. Um, we don't work. I mean, I'm not saying we don't work hard, but we don't work. The, the, the way that I've structured on point is such that it provides people with an opportunity to still have a great career in law, but have a life, whatever that means. So, <clears throat> for example, I have... Um, one fellow who's been with me for years who's also pursuing his LLM. Um, I have another woman who's also been with me for years who um, is a screenwriter on the side and has a small child. Uh, others that have children as well that just want to be there and went to, to, you know, after five o'clock or whenever they structure. There's there's a flexibility to what we do is, is um, you know, the, the project that they're given obviously needs to be done on a certain day, but they can do it whenever they want. You know, they can do it after they put their children to bed, or or not, and during the day, or uh, I have another fellow who is um, an accordion player, and uh, this gives him a great opportunity to to play when he wants to and when he can, and and then also still remain active in law.
0: Fantastic, fantastic! So once again, a trailblazer in you know offering an alternative to uh, you know full time practice and helping people achieve if we can call it achieving a work-life balance or um, integration, however you, you look at it. But uh, yeah,
1: yeah that was a, very important, a really important thing to me actually was a really important element was was figuring out how to structure this so that it would provide an alternative for that as well. Not only the practice, the traditional practice of law, but actually the fact that the traditional practice of law is usually meaning that you give up so many things. And I was hoping to be able to structure it in such a way that that we could
0: have a balance. Yeah, and I mean, it says a lot that so many on pointers have been with, uh, been with you for so many years. It's uh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking too, like of a, a client coming to, like, how would a client reach out to you? Is, is everything done virtually? I mean, obviously now, but before, um, you know, the whole world uh, turned upside mm-hmm. down, how were clients reaching out to you? And how did you go about, um, yeah, just sort of engaging in, in uh, the work that you're doing?
1: Well, everybody here works out of their, they've always worked out of their own home because we don't really, I mean, I've, every now and then I have contemplated getting an office, but I thought, you know, one of the benefits of this is that you don't have to go to an office and we, if we need to see our clients in person, we go to them. I have had some clients over the years that really enjoy that in-person work, uh, you know, across the desk. Scenario. So we do go to them when that's what they want, but but the, the lion's share of our clients don't really want that. They want the efficiency of having a phone call. We always have at least have a phone call because it's so as you can imagine, it's very easy to miscommunicate over an issue uh, exactly what they want researched and the, the parameters of that research. If if you try to do it just by email, so. There's a lot of email correspondence, but it's, it's always there's, there are phone calls to make sure that everyone's on the same page. Um, but in the initial contact is, is usually, I mean, now, once I, I have already known a client, then, it's, then they email me. But before that, I often will get a call from a potential client who either has never heard of outsourcing before and wants general information about how this is going to work. Or they just want to hear about their options, and um, once we figure all that out, then I can put them in touch with the right on pointer, and they can communicate on their own
0: and get going. Wow, and I'm wondering, like, how about um, you know confidentiality issues, conflicts, things like that? Is that something that comes up a lot, or? <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't come up a lot. I mean, we
1: do have a we do conflict checks right away at the very beginning of a file. But because of the structure of how we work, it's it's really uh, rarely a, there's rarely a conflict to begin with because of, of our diversity. But we um, when we do potentially have a conflict, which happened only a couple of times that I can think of over the last many years, um, we are so se- working so separately, nothing is shared between any any of us. So we almost have our own perfect structure set up to deal with that. And um, uh, information is not passed between um, on pointers. Um, so that really takes care of that problem.
0: Okay. Oh, it's just, it's, it's, this is so new to me, and I'm sure to a lot of listeners. Um, yeah, so I'm not even sure what questions to ask you because I'm <laughs> thinking, you know, putting myself in that in that situation. But one thing that comes to mind is the skill set of a good research lawyer. What are the kinds of things that you would look for in a in a research lawyer? Definitely practice experience
1: because I actually, I have several applications a year from people who are, uh, you know, maybe academically brilliant and uh, did incredibly well in school and and would be great research lawyers, but I don't bring them on board unless they've had at least a year, preferably more of litigation experience. And I think it's just, you don't really know what a court needs, um, what a lawyer needs to go to court. Uh, if you haven't done it yourself, so so that's definitely something. If anyone's considering becoming a research lawyer and they're not happy litigating, I would say hang in there, hang in there long enough to get enough experience that the practical experience is an important element. So there's the academic you know the brain and obviously incredibly good writing skills and a love of digging things up and spending time with sometimes minutia, but also having the experience to know what part of that minutia is relevant.
0: All right right and that sort of those all the analytical skills and all of those uh, those things as well right which uh, which comes
1: i think from i mean analytical skills obviously there's an innate part of it but i think a lot of it is also
0: developed definitely through experience yes yeah and then, and then also gets me thinking about sort of clients that are coming back, like if you have repeat clients and developing sort of that relationship with a client and the the client developing a sense of trust in a particular research lawyer. Do you have any research lawyers that are assigned to a particular client or the client comes back specifically to work with that particular research lawyer?
1: Uh, It varies a lot. I think there isn't there's never an assigned person always to a, a client. It really depends on the situation and the, and the on-pointer's availability. But for the most part, if somebody has had great success with one person, I, I do try to put them back with that person again because they've already got a rapport. And in expectations, they've figured out how each other works. And, and it makes sense to have them work with them again. Um, but it certainly is not exclusive that way. If, if a repeat client comes back to me, um, I will always discuss with them the nature of the work. And if I think there's somebody else that is, has a better background or different availability,
0: then I will make that suggestion. Okay. So you're the gatekeeper, someone comes in and... Pretty much. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fascinating, fascinating. I just thank you so much for sharing uh, all of you know the details about your business and, and also for starting up uh, On Point Legal Research. Such a... Interesting approach to the practice of law, and, and one that I hope a lot of people will um, will learn about because it's such a great alternative. Uh, well, thank you, Shelley. I'm always, I'm always happy to talk about On Point. <laughs> so thank yeah. you so much for <laughs> thanks so much for the opportunity. Yeah, I'm just wondering: if, is there is there anything that we didn't touch on that you thought would be um, useful to share with listeners?
1: No, I don't think so. I will say if anybody wants to chat with me, I'm happy to talk. Like if it's somebody who wants to hear more about the life of a research lawyer or
0: uh, anything in that in that vein, I'm, I'm happy to chat. Super, super. So how can listeners learn more about uh, On Point in general? Uh, well,
1: our website obviously has a lot of information, but they can also email me or, or phone me and, and both that contact information is on our website if they want to, if they have questions that aren't covered on the website
0: or they just want to chat with me. Okay, super. And I'll put a link to your website in the show notes as well, so people can uh can find you there. Anything up and coming for you business wise any changes you're looking at for
1: on point um nothing in particular. I mean, I think you know as always i'm I'm always considering expansion uh more extensive expansion into other provinces. We do have a we do work now for clients across Canada, but if not too surprisingly because we're in Vancouver. My focus is fairly BC based, so I, I certainly will be putting more efforts into um, having more of a presence across Canada.
0: Yeah, excellent, excellent. Well, I will definitely be keeping my eye out um, for changes and uh, new developments from on point. So, Sarah, thank you again. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me.
1: Great. Thank you, Shelley.
0: Thanks for joining me today on the XL Legal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for topic and guest ideas. So if you have any suggestions for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L.com.